0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Mattathias Reads the World, a podcast inspired in part by James and Nicole Goldberg's James's Crappy Podcast, Um, a podcast that just, you know, addressed questions of religion and literature and why is the world the way it is through a uniquely, you know, Goldbergian... Uh, Mormon Lens. Um, And we're here for uh, something really amazing in this episode, I think. Um, I have with me tonight uh, Artis Partial, uh, who is probably best known um, for the Mormon history blog, Keep a Pitchin' In. Um, Artis, would you introduce yourself briefly for my listeners?
1: I'm a historian based in Salt Lake City. I am interested in all phases of Mormonism and Mormon history. And I don't know, it's been so long since the library's been open, I kind of forget who I was and what I used to do. <laughs> but I, I I research Mormon history and tell it wherever I can find an audience.
2: Yeah.
0: And you do a really, really amazing job. Um I think artists um, can maybe best be described as a historical detective um, who sleuths and hunts down individuals and will track them through um, the years, sometimes through different aliases, and piece together who they were and what their stories are. Um, She has a fairly astounding grasp of different sources. As a genealogist turned historian who has really solid skill sets in both directions, um, and then is very able to tell someone's story, um, you know, to bring the story back from the dust, as it were, in... Uh, powerful and dramatic way. Um, I think that's one of the things that really hooked me on your blog early when I uh, was starting to, you know, read, read, read Mormon history online is that you really do have a way for like the narrative turn in a story um, and recognizing that moment that everything hinges on. And so you're able to take people's everyday experiences and make them um, feel really weighty and to like take these little dramas of people's everyday lives and show the twists and turns that they go through and kind of catch things on the cliffhanger moment.
1: It's fun to hear somebody discuss or dissect what it is that they like about my stories. I do try to make them fully historical, could be documented in a scholarly and even an academic way. So these stories are not puffed up and made to be emotional Mm -hmm. for for the reader. Those details are part of the historical record. And it really is a lot of fun to to find them and pull them together and be able to bring someone back to life.
0: Yeah. And artist has tracked people down. She's tracked down one of the first um, Japanese converts to go to the temple. Um, She tracked down a tremendous amount of detail about the Armenian saints in Lebanon in the early 20th century. And um, yeah, in what was the Ottoman mission, right?
1: Yeah, the name changed different yeah. times to to political feelings. So yeah. it was the the Armenian mission. Let's just call it. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but within the Ottoman Empire, and then within Turkey, um, following the Ottoman Empire briefly, um, but um, through through tremendous tragedy, right? And how did they survive? And how did they identify that as a as related to their LDS experience and their Mormon identity? Um. You found like some real hair raising stories. I remember the one about the uh, teenage uh, sweethearts. Church members who ended up going on a carjacking spree around the country to try to get to Salt Lake to get sealed. Was there like a ostensible goal? If
1: you're you're going to uh, to be with your girlfriend boyfriend, and you're in Illinois, and you have grown up being taught that the only place to be married is a Mormon temple, then you'll do whatever it takes to get to Salt Lake, even if that includes three murders along the way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and for the record, uh, that's not a good way to get to the temple. Um, But, but yeah, and so from the, you know, sort of tabloid shocking side of Mormon history um, to um, Mormons at their best, Artis has done a really powerful job of telling the stories of everyday Mormons and of being an advocate for a certain approach to Mormon history, right? Because it's, it's you who I think really is pushed to kind of move from a history of the hierarchy that looks at the church as made up of leaders and
1: missionaries to... Yeah. That's right. It, it, there's a long-standing, I mean, thousands of years long-standing yeah. idea that history is a narration of the events of great men,
2: mm-hmm.
1: generals and presidents and so on. And we do that in the church too, yep. except that they are prophets and missionaries. Yep. There's other ways yeah. of approaching history, other people's yeah. stories to tell.
0: Well, and, and one of the things with that is that the thing with prophets and with missionaries is that they keep a lot of records and a lot of records are kept about them, right? And so it's really easy to do the biographies of the presidents of the church, right? The office of the first presidency, right, like, keeps all the minutes and agendas and diaries and letters and all of that.
1: Everybody knew that anything they said or did was important, so they kept track of those records.
0: And lots of missionaries (laughs) keep journals and missionaries keep the baptism records and the teaching records and especially in new areas of the church, right? In some ways, we often get the missionary's perspective on how things are happening, not necessarily their convert's perspective.
1: You know, it's really a challenge, but it's also a lot of fun Yeah, to read a, a missionary diary, a record that's told from that point of view, mm-hmm. of the, the man, usually the man yeah. who knocked on the door, and find the clues in that missionary's record's to turn it around and tell a story from the perspective of the woman, usually a woman, who answered the door.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: you have to do it through the missionary's eyes, but somehow still get the voice and the story of that local member. Yeah. That feels like such a responsibility to, to get it right and to, yeah. to represent them correctly. And you've really
0: managed, with this historical sleuthing, to... um put together tremendous amounts of detail and personality about people from whom we have no or very few written words. Um, Yeah, so any of you listening who have not gone to the blog, um, I'll have the link in the show notes. You should really be looking through the archives of Keep a Pitching In. Artists also being a fabulous documentary historian has collected massive amounts of LDS cultural ephemera from over the centuries, right? Uh, Joke collections, those are some of my favorites, the old joke collections from old church magazines, Relief Society magazines, et cetera, short stories, advertisements from back when church magazines ran advertisements for different things, um, photographs of different groups right little uh, people writing in their own little testimonies to different church or mission periodicals um i the... think it
1: makes our, our past so much richer than if we just stick to the the formal talks over the pulpit and so on yeah <laughs> we get these cultural things that how yeah. people really lived and how the gospel affected their lives yeah. in ways beyond baptism it's a yeah. lot of yeah hard
0: to find those. the bandalos yeah the sacrament gems um, well you
1: you have been poking around oh yeah
0: i've i've read a lot in those archives it's it is a treasure trove it is indeed a treasure trove but it is not artists only Uh, contribution to the field of Mormon history. Um, She is also known, of course, from her time at the Salt Lake Trib, which, you know, has in certain circles a certain reputation based on its founding in the 1800s and on some people's opinion of its current coverage, but which has done a great deal of Mormon history and mormon cultural coverage due to being a salt lake city newspaper
1: um and could you... i just say one thing about yeah. the trip in mormon yes. history i would love you to all the time the that trip. i was there as a monthly columnist telling utah history stories they never once suggested something that i should or shouldn't do mm-hmm. um i, I could have preached Mormonism top to bottom, and I think yeah. as long as it was in a historical cast, they would have taken it. Yeah, The only time that they ever made any suggestion whatsoever was some television program. I can't remember now. Uh, mm-hmm. Took a pretty dismal and not fair look at Mormonism, and they asked if I'd like to rebut that. Oh, nice. So, I mean, did yeah. they, if we want to bring up the, the origins of the Tribune, we also need to recognize... How helpful and how free of agenda they have been with the historians that yeah. they
0: that have published. Yeah, well, and uh, the Trib employs Peggy Fletcher Stack, who has Best done amazing things, in the country. Who has done amazing <laughs> things in terms of coverage of Mormonism as well as many other faiths. Yes, um, and who is another great. Great, of Mormon religion and culture, um, writing and reporting. Um, you also have been very active in um, seeking to increase the awareness within Mormon study circles of African-American history and of the history of Black Latter-day Saints.
1: Yes, there's a, a project known as the Century of Black Mormons. It is mm-hmm. was conceived and is led by Paul Reeve at the University of Utah. Yeah, it's hosted at the U of U. It's a secular mm-hmm. project. Yeah, but we are trying to identify all Black Latter-day Saints who had been members before
0: 1930.
1: Yeah, 1830 and, to 1930 is the century. Yes, and to to honor their religious choice and to tell their stories, Mm -hmm. almost none of whom have been known at all to this point. That is the real responsibility of all the things that I work on.
0: So it's an online documentary database, but you'd already been doing that work even before that database was created.
1: Yes. That's why Paul Uh uh, invited me to to participate is because I knew that he was kind of specializing in that. And so I, kept shipping stories and mm-hmm. documents off to him yeah. to help his project. Yeah, And then it, it grew into this.
0: How did you get started with that as a historian?
1: It was actually one of the columns that I did from the Tribune clear back in 2005, I think it was.
2: Hmm.
1: I told a story that involved a, a Salt Lake Black figure. Mm-hmm. And I was having difficulty finding the background information that I needed. Um, and I discovered that Black civic involvement, Black history, Black activities were not recorded in the mm-hmm. same places that all the rest of Salt Lake history was recorded. Yep. The newspapers didn't mm-hmm. cover it. Telefo- uh, telephone directories didn't include them, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, And because of that, I started keeping track of every scrap of local Black history that I found. Wow. I didn't know what I was gonna do with it, but I knew that as hard as it was to find, there needed to be an archive for it. Yep. So that's how I got started.
2: And you became the archive.
1: Yes. It sensitized me to recognizing, wait a minute, there's a black person involved in the story. Yeah. I need to find out more and I need to record that data.
0: And so you've become someone who's great at finding, right? Finding, say, like a photo of a group of missionaries where there's this black man with them. Right. And at a time when the church did have restrictions on black men being ordained. Right. Right. But so what's his story? What is he doing with a group of missionaries? And you then do the research and find the other documents and tease out that this man was a missionary. He did lots of work, right? He wasn't called or set apart. um, But he had joined the church and was very active in supporting missionaries. And
1: an example of that is um, Elijah Banks in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. I had actually posted a picture of the Minneapolis Sunday school from like 1905, 1906 Mm -hmm. at Keep a Pitching Inn. And it wasn't until many years later when I was working on Century Black Mormons that I noticed that there was a black face in that Mm -hmm. Sunday school and digging into records, you kind of have to go sideways because you can't just look up black members of the church in Minneapolis. They're not indexed anywhere.
2: Um,
1: So, so going the long way around and putting his story together, I discovered that he was a teacher. He supported, he was a handyman, but he helped to support the branch there. He, uh, for a few years, he lived in a, a few months rather, he lived in another state and organized a Sunday school there specifically to teach black people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, he truly was a missionary. Yeah. As well as supporting the church in every way he could, every way he was allowed to. Yeah. So, I mean, Elijah Banks, there he is, a black face in the middle of all these white faces.
2: Yeah.
0: And you tracked down the graves and found a That's truly true. haunting letter. Marie Graves.
1: Yeah. One day at the church history library, I was just turning over letters in a file of letters written to the California mission president mm-hmm. just to see what there was. Cause yeah. Yeah. if you're going to tell stories that nobody's told before, you have to do that. Yeah. You just yep. look through primary records and wait for something to jump out. Yep. And as I turned these letters, <clears throat> excuse me, I came across a, a 1920 letter written by a woman named Maria Graves. She was a member of the church in Oakland, but her letter to Heber J. Grant was recording a visit she and her husband had made to Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, just skimming through it, because here's a local member. This is not yeah. a hierarchical letter, so I looked, yeah. I just skimmed over it to see what it was. And what jumped out at me was the paragraph about her telling, she she went to church with friends. She took them to church to be a missionary in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and was asked yeah. to leave the chapel.
2: Yeah,
1: because we was colored, in her words.
2: Yep. Uh, she
1: said that we found the right church, but we found the wrong people. Yeah. She said she told him that uh, she thought the church was free to all who were interested. She also said that this would not affect her testimony when she got back to Oakland. Yeah. And so that's the statement I wanted to test out. Did she stay with the church or did she not? Yeah, she did. Yeah, she and her husband were both members to the day they died. Yep, active, participated, and well loved.
0: Yep, yeah. And so you've you've pulled people out of obscurity, right? Uh, in this Book of Mormon way, right? Um. People
1: who were not recognized during their lifetime for being anything special, but looking back on them from our distance, we can see how extraordinary many of these people were.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And maybe that will give us a sense that like, a lot of the people who aren't counted as much now are really extraordinary and are going through extraordinary things. Exactly. Right. And extraordinary hardship and surviving and their stories of resilience are amazing, right? Amazing to God, right? This is part of why the worth of our souls is so great. Um, But we still live in a world that views some people as the ones to care about, and most and the people as... And
1: can sit in the congregation and pay their tithing, but otherwise we don't want to hear from them.
0: Yeah, well, and, and just, you know, even far beyond the church right in society this sense that like well there's there's the people who get all the nice stuff and then there's the rest of you who have to work to make it happen but you know you're not really sufficiently grateful for the things you have (laughs) yep for the for the crumbs we throw throw to you um and yeah it's just this tendency over and over for a for us to think of just this small percentage of people is they're they're the really important ones who have the important stories, and everyone else is just sort of along for the ride.
1: They're um, an anonymous mass. They're not individuals. Yeah. They're just this.
0: Yeah, they're the, the membership
1: or the citizenry yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um,
0: yeah. But what if we can learn to see everyone's stories more, um, which what I would really like to talk about tonight um, is this idea of, of memory and also of mourning, right? That there is, in remembering the past, and in remembering these amazing lives, there's also the grief, partly the grief of knowing that these people weren't necessarily given the honor or recognition that they were due in their lives. And also the grief that they're gone, right? That they're gone now.
2: Um,
0: And these are, I think, really core parts of human experience, and especially religious experience, right? To remember and to mourn. Um, And especially for us as Latter-day Saints, right? Our, Our scriptures remind us over and over again, remember, remember, right? I don't know the statistic on how many times it says remember in the Book of Mormon, but it's a lot.
1: Yes, um, it's noticeable.
0: Over and over, they're saying remember this, remember this, remember this. Um, and then the morning, right? That um, the part of what we're supposed to remember is that like it ends tragically. Um... And where for us are, you know, some of our core covenants, right? We have the sacrament where we're covenanting to, to remember always Jesus Christ, right? Um, and then our baptismal covenant that as we understand it from um, this sermon in the Book of Mormon, this baptismal sermon delivered by um Alma who had been a priest of King Noah and then uh abandoned that life he says that to be baptized is to be willing to mourn with those that mourn right it's yeah. saying i recognize that life is sad and anytime someone is grieving I'll join them um that's like a that's a heavy covenant to make right, to say, I'll mourn with those who mourn.
1: It is heavy, but it's also something that I think is relatively easy to do if we just train ourselves to notice and to realize that today, this is an opportunity to mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't require us going on long journeys or investing massive amounts of time or money. It's just being human.
2: Yep. Yep, you can mourn.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you can mourn at home, right? All you have to do is is give that part of your heart over to someone else's pain, besides your own. Um, But I think there is a sense in which, in doing this, right, that this is part of what makes our burdens light, because then, like, our own griefs and our own sorrows kind of get joined. To the They're whole collection, being
1: carried by a lot of other hearts and shoulders, and it yeah it makes the burden a lot lighter.
0: Yeah, yeah. So those are those are the kind of general things that we want to talk about. Okay. Um, and specifically in the context, right? It is now October um, of the year 2020. We're coming up on All Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day and All Souls' Day um, in the, in the Catholic tradition, um, and it's also, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic where, um, millions have died, um, over the past year, and where life has changed for all of us, And where there's significant resistance to that change because change is is really scary and hard. Um, But where these changes are about how do we figure out how to protect each other and protect the most vulnerable, right? And how do we adjust to the reality of this particular disease? Um, And... Early in the pandemic, you started doing something interesting on social media, I remember. So I, um, when everything started in March, I was living on my own um, in a in a condo in Orem and going a little bit crazy because I didn't, you know, didn't have anyone else there. It was just me and, you know, I'd go out for a walk. In the complex, there was like a little track out in front of my complex that I'd go walking on for an hour every day. And then I'd come back into my, you know, little apartment space and be there with my own thoughts. And a lot of my thoughts were scary, sad thoughts. But the, the advice, the expert advice we'd been given at that time was shelter in place. And if you shelter in place and we avoid large group gatherings will be able to prevent transmission will be able to save a lot of people's lives right um and so i was trying to do that but it was it was hard and you started posting on twitter every day you would post the name of someone who you were staying home for
1: yeah dedicating the day to that person trying to make meaning out of staying home
0: yeah so then your isolation and the anxiety and the suffering, it wasn't just this loss of all of the other places that you could have gone and things you could have been doing. And it wasn't just you stuck there with your fears. It was you making this active choice to, as, you know, as with, say, when we fast and we dedicate that fasting to some person's need or to something else, um you were dedicating your own isolation, recognizing that we're, we are doing this for others. But if I can do it for a specific other, it's easier to do it for one specific other person I can think about when it's scary and hard than to do it for the nameless, massive everybody. Right. And that had an impact on me and I started trying to do that as well uh, to help me um, through those early weeks. Um, Until I'd kind of gotten in the habit of being able to be on my own with my own thoughts in the same space. Until
1: you had adjusted to the change that you talked about earlier. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And then a little bit further in the pandemic, you started something else. Um, Something that I think is amazing and is a gift to all of us. And that I think really will benefit a lot of future generations. Um, One of the first things that people started observing... As the pandemic spread um, in March uh, 2020 was how a lot of the things that were happening were these sort of flashbacks to hundred years before because from 1918 to 1920 there had been a global flu pandemic with a new deadlier strain of influenza that sort of washed over the globe and killed, I don't know. I I don't know which killed more people: World War One or the pandemic.
1: Well, definitely the pandemic. Um, or yeah, died in the pandemic.
0: I I don't know the numbers. It's it's hard to weigh those things, right?
1: It's hard um, to know, but they estimate that about fifty million people worldwide died of influenza or its yeah. after effects.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so with that. As that started to be on people's minds, you started doing documentary research on the 1918 pandemic and sort of posting newspaper articles and things from the early stages of that pandemic to kind of say, like, yeah, we are going through the same things again. Here's what it was like.
1: Yeah, I was deliberately pulling out articles that had parallels to things that were new to us in March and April. Yeah. Now they're yep. old hat, but it, it yep. was amazing. Yeah. To find how many parallels there
0: yeah. were. And with that remembering part, right? With the memory to say, like, look, this this is new to us, but people have been through this before and they got through it. And they figured out ways to get through it. And if we could learn from the things they did to get through it, maybe we maybe this would be easier for us, right? If we could learn from their successes and from their mistakes, right? And avoid some of the things. And that was very interesting to see in those early, you know, in that first month or two as you were posting those. Um, and then you switched over. I don't remember exactly when it was, um, but you started posting um, uh, who we lost. Um, as kind of observing, one of the things that people started observing with the pandemic was there because of, right, you're trying to avoid um, infection. You're trying to avoid groups of people who could spread... On illness to each other, and that meant we we can't really have funerals right now, right? We can't be gathering to mourn for those who die, right? We have online obituaries as really our main way of remembering people. Um, But even like while someone is dying, they're not able to have their family with them frequently because the hospital is really restricting visitors because of the threat of contagion and of that being spread through that gathering. Um, And you started, in order to help us kind of work through that present grief, doing a processing of the grief from a century ago. And you started posting The names and frequently the photographs and little biographical information, what you could piece together for Latter-day Saints who died in that pandemic a hundred plus years ago.
1: Yeah, they necessarily had to be brief because they were tweet blank.
2: Yeah.
1: And I tried to show the full name of the person and where they lived and what evidence they were that they were LDS because I was Mm -hmm. focusing on LDS losses and an indication of what happened when they died. Mm -hmm. Maybe a clip from a funeral program or a picture of a a grave site and a list of their nearest survivors to get an idea of who it was that were the chief mourners when someone died. Yeah, yeah. That started as an accidental project. I didn't intend mm-hmm. to do that. It, yeah, um, I, I'm always looking for little things that I can post on Twitter that mm-hmm. might interest somebody. And I, I posted the picture and this itty bitty sketch of a sister missionary who had died in the field. Mm-hmm. And got some good response to that. So a couple of d- days later, to balance that out, I did a similar thing for an elder who had died in the field. Mm -hmm. And it just took off. People responded so well that it morphed into this project to try to identify all of the Latter-day Saints who died. Those who, I I estimate there were about Mm 5,000. That's pretty rough estimate, but I think there were about 5,000 that died worldwide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I need to find them.
0: Yeah. And that's what you excel at, right? Is the sleuthing.
1: that's right. There's there's something about. You can't just go to a book and find it ready-made. You have yeah. to piece it together from a clue here and a clue there.
2: Yeah. And
1: that that's my natural puzzle-solving.
2: Yeah. Interest <laughs> involved.
1: Yeah. I'll yeah. find these people. I'll find them all eventually.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's it's its own kind of missionary work, right?
1: That's You're, right. I, I'm hunting uh, them out. The safest. Yep.
0: As, yeah. Jeremiah. I think it's Jeremiah that talks about the hunters and fishers. The
1: fishers. Yeah.
0: Right. And you're definitely you're hunting and you're fishing to pull pull up our dead, right? Yeah. To gather yeah. our dead again back to us.
1: Pretty quickly, my chief source for right now, at least to identify victims, is going page by page through the death certificates for Utah mm-hmm. and for some counties in Idaho.
2: Yep. Because I
1: can, Mormons are thick enough on the ground, so to speak, that I can yeah. look up every one of them in FamilySearch and determine whether they were LDS or not. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I can't do that for Illinois or Florida. There are yep. too few Mormons and so on. But when yeah. the Church History Library is open again, there is a specific record that I know mm-hmm. that I will search, and I'll be able to find. It, it will depend on the efficiency of, ward and branch yeah. clerks around the world, but yeah. I'll be able to identify many, many, many more from
0: yeah. other places. Well, and those are membership records? Yeah, the
1: during members? the period that that we're interested in, there was an annual report called okay. Form E that was filed huh. that had one page that listed everybody who was baptized in the, the ward that year, yeah. all those who were blessed, all those who came home from missions, all those who were divorced, all the... Hmm. All those who died. And there is a column, what did they die of? They used to compile social statistics. Yeah. How how Hmm. many Latter day Saints died of heart disease and how many of them died of influenza. (laughs) And I'll be able to go page by page through those records. Wow. And and
0: so you won't have to do a separate search because I was thinking you'd have the membership records that would have deaths, but then you have to do separate searches in vital statistics for cause of death. But the cause of death is actually recorded there in the church record. Yes from those years that's
1: right that's wow right.
2: so now, it, it
1: won't be perfect i can't yeah. guarantee that the missionary who was keeping records in tonga for example yeah kept them adequately yep or the connecticut first branch whatever yeah. but I, I will find them
0: yeah Yep. Yeah. and so what does that mean to you kind of what what uh spiritual and emotional significance has this project taken on for you as you've been finding these people over the past six months
1: you know that has changed from time to time as the project grows at first it was a way to cope with the losses today at that point we Mm -hmm. had about seventy thousand losses that seems so small compared to what that we know we've lost since yeah i couldn't find who those people are it's too new they're not in the sources that i can search yep but i had been doing already i was already very familiar with the 1918 pandemic Mm -hmm. i've given a few talks and written a few papers about it yeah and that's where i started there were enough similarities between then and now that i Mm -hmm. these people at first were just a substitute for those that we're losing now. Proxies. Yes,
0: proxies. That's a better term, isn't yeah. it? They were <laughs> they were standing in the place of. You were grieving. Yes. It's a very Mormon could, way to grieve.
1: If I could mourn for brother so-and-so who died in
2: 1919.
1: Yeah. That is a, a, a way of mourning for this person that I do not know who died last week. Yeah. Who is just as deserving. Yeah. But the people responded so well, and a lot of people sent me messages, please yeah. don't forget my cousin so-and-so or yeah. my great-grandma so-and-so.
0: Yeah, people were reaching out to you with their own dead who they had <laughs> yes. remembered.
1: And it, the project's meaning changed for me then that I realized that it it really could be a help to other people. It wasn't just mm-hmm. satisfying my need, it was yeah. satisfying others. Yeah. Last week, I got a message from a non-Mormon historian of Canadian religious history hmm. who sent me the names of some Canadian Latter-day Saints who hmm. died. It's gone beyond church yeah. members yep. to people who want to be sure that people are remembered.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. It, I, I don't know. As I, I Obviously... My knowledge of these people is quite superficial. It's it's very important details of their lives that I'm pulling mm-hmm. together, but I really yeah. don't know them. Yeah. But it feels like I do in the sense that they could be people in the pews with me.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I've, I've also noticed as I've gone through, I, I always try to find a baptismal date mm-hmm. to show that, Yes, yeah. this person was LDS. And as I do that, I notice how often their family members did their temple work for them, how soon they did it after death.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For most of them, they tried to do it within a, few, a matter of a few months. Yeah. They, it, it suddenly, the idea of salvation and exaltation as families and so on yeah. suddenly meant something to these people. Yes. Who may not have been married in the temple in life, for instance, yeah, yep. but they wanted to be sure, yeah, that these children that they had lost, that it was only a temporary loss, it, it yeah, it, so that added a d- dimension to yep. what the project meant to me.
2: Yeah, I'd like to do a paper
1: out. after I finish this yeah. where I analyze how quickly people went to the temple.
2: Yeah, I, I just that yeah. serves
1: as a a proxy for a, re- a reawakened religious feeling. I think yeah that could be worth looking at,
2: yeah, yeah, but it
1: it has changed from time to time according to my needs as much as anythings to what this
2: yeah
1: I, I've gone through the the same phases that I think everybody else has, where you, you suddenly run up against the emotional wall and you don't know how you're going to break through. Yeah, this project has given me something to focus on something that I can contribute and continue to achieve even when my brain is numb yep. that I can't do other work. Yep. It, it, so that, that's another meaning yep. that it has for me.
2: It's yeah. kind of
1: saving me.
0: Yep. And, and isn't that what we believe about working <laughs> for the dead? That we
1: that our dad will not be made, cannot be made perfect or however yep. the wording the, yep.
2: the goes. Yeah. Yeah, need service them, to others is a service us. to
0: yourself. We need them, right? We, we often think about how they need us, right? They need us to do work that they can't do. Maybe we don't spend enough time thinking often as Latter-day Saints about how much we need them, right? And how we're not whole and complete without them. Without them. Right? And without yeah. that memory of them. Um, and I was just thinking as you were talking about how this this time amidst this global COVID pandemic really is, right, this real time of memory and of mourning, right? Where we're caught with all these memories of kind of like what our life was like before March 10th or March 11th. In the before time. <laughs> in the before time. Um, and yeah, right, for most of us. That's still very different from the way things are now, right? Even for people who have kind of gone back to something more like a normal routine, the, the, the things it's surrounded by are still very different, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's the memory of this 1918 pandemic, right? There's the memory of those who we're losing now, right? And trying to hold on to their memories in the midst of all of this. And trying to even remember, right, Uh, one of the thoughts that I had when this was first starting, I had this really strong feeling that I I needed to find some way to keep a daily record, to remember what I did and what I felt during this time.
1: I thank you on behalf of future historians. I haven't been
0: perfect at it. I'm about two months behind now. I need to catch up. I've, you know, I have little notes and stuff. Um, I have my, you know, Google calendar that will remind me what I was doing on different days, but I won't necessarily be able to fill in the emotions.
1: Right. um, Which have changed so much. Which have changed so much,
0: right? And then of mourning, both for those who have died and those who have been changed for life by these circumstances, and for all the people we're separated from, right? Those who are still alive, but you know, we, um, we're we used to meeting together as congregations
1: and as families and as things like that. Um, it has been seven months since I shared a meal with anybody around yeah. a given table.
2: Yep, Yeah.
1: And that matters. That yep. Those connections that we make in yep. that way are not being made right now.
0: Yeah. And those
1: are kind of what make us people,
0: right? Yes. We're not people without other people. Um, and so now we have to get by on memory and on mourning, right? And, and mourning also for all of the, the things that we kind of expected to be able to do during this time that disappeared because of the way things changed, right? Mourning graduation ceremonies and mourning conferences, right? Lots of academic conferences were either canceled or shifted online and, Online, you know, is something, but it's different. Yes. Um, and birthday parties and, like you said, meeting up at restaurants. So there are lots of things besides death that we can grieve during this time. Um, but it, can I, be hard, yeah. it
1: can be hard to grieve those things because we're aware that A lost meal is nothing like a lost grandmother. Yes. And so you feel guilty if you feel bad about it.
2: Yeah. (laughs)
1: You just have to adjust in so many ways. Yeah.
0: And honestly, I wonder sometimes how much of that, like, inability to state a grief is part of the tendency that we're seeing of people to just deny that the pandemic is happening. Because if I really admit to myself that it's happening, I don't feel like I'm allowed to express my sorrow over not being able to go to Disneyland or things like that. But if this whole pandemic is made up, then my grief over Disneyland is very justified, or my grief over And something I'm else.
1: something of a hero for for recognizing the truth. And yes, whatever. and all of
0: that, and all of that. But yeah. I I think that there is grief at the root of it. A grief that doesn't know where to go, right? That's maybe an overly charitable that, but reading. It,
1: sound, it it feels right. It, yeah. You, you always, when there is a death in a the family, there's always somebody who doesn't seem to show it. Yeah. That doesn't seem to feel, and and they're denying. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. The grief that everybody else yeah. is expressing,
0: or whose way of grief is arguing with everyone else over. The China and the tablecloths, yes, right?
1: Which song we're going to sing at the funeral, whatever, yeah,
0: yeah. um, yeah. but that's that comes from the grief, right?
1: It does um,
0: yeah, you don't you don't fight that much over tablecloths unless it's more than tablecloths,
1: yeah,
0: right um, But yeah, so. I guess what I'd like to try and get at in the 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 remainder of our time is from what you found here and from things you've seen in other historical documents. What advice do you have for remembering well and grieving well, right? So that we can so that we can reach that point of relief, um, and so that the grief can help us to be better and help connect us to each other. Instead of isolating us and instead of severing us from each other. Well,
1: I'm not a psychologist, and so I don't know that my advice means. (laughs) Yeah. I do think that we have to allow people to grieve in whatever way seems to work for them. Yeah. Even if it goes directly against what we think is normal grieving. Uh Yeah. It will catch up with everybody sometime. Yeah. And when it does, we need to be tolerant of somebody's anger or unnatural behavior. It just takes longer for some people. I mean, we have not... We talked to, at one point about why World War One and its exploits is remembered so well, whereas the 1918 pandemic is not. Mm-hmm. And I really think that how we mourn is tied in with why I think that happened. Yep. We need narratives to help make sense of things that don't make sense, like yep. mass death. Yeah. There's a narrative about wartime and the glory yep. of battle and going to war for humanity's sake against that very recognizable enemy and the heroes. Yep. You know, we have all of that. Yeah. We don't have any narrative for... Death coming into our homes, this invisible virus yeah. that comes and the heroics are not bombs bursting in air. The heroics are women's work of tending to the sick,
2: yep.
1: cleaning up the puke and w- wiping yep. away the, the bloody eyes, the, the, the hemorrhage from the eyes that yeah. was a, a common cool. symptom of, of that influenza Yeah, we don't have any narrative that makes that glorious. Yeah, and that we don't have a narrative that really allows us to mourn on the scale that, if you think there's two hundred and twenty thousand deaths, is our grief supposed to be two hundred and twenty times larger than it would be for just that one person? Yeah, we
2: don't. Yeah,
1: we haven't faced. We max out.
0: You max out on your grief capacity.
1: And, and and we need narratives, and maybe something like who we lost, or or yeah. anything else anybody is doing yeah. helps to create a narrative.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think you get at something here with the glory idea that um, we actually really don't like grieving; we like celebrating. No
1: right we, do. we want music to march to we want yep. banners to wave <laughs>
0: and people who die more there's there is this celebratory aspect right where you can say like it was you know it was for this cause
1: yeah it, it meant um, something
0: and you have like the the flags waving and the bugle playing and you fold the flag in the ceremonial way over the casket and it's Right, it's it's somber, but it's also, um, and it's harder to do that with illness. Right, to yeah, sure. to treat it as triumph. Right, how what's the triumph in dying of the flu and bleeding out of your eyeballs? And there are people who pointed out what what really in the end is the triumph in war. Right, we kind of made right. up <laughs> this story of it being glorious and wonderful when really it's a bunch of people getting really horrible wounds. Yes. While running into each other, right? Um
1: I, I've been trying to recognize but, that there are heroes in the pandemic. Yeah. I have not written about them as such yet, mm-hmm. but this project's gonna lead to future projects. Yeah. But all of those release society sisters and all of the school teachers who were out of work because the schools were closed Mm -hmm. who went out to work as nurses in people's homes
2: yeah
1: to take care of people who were not their relatives yeah who were just their neighbors yeah they're heroes i mean yeah they risk death just as much as we talk about people who are risking their lives to stand in voter lines today yeah these people risk their lives they're heroes yeah, even if even if it was laundry and ladling yeah. soup into bowls, it it was heroic because people were doing it to save other people.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, and isn't that a greatest form of heroism? Right to save. Yes. Um, and but yeah, how do we? You know, it takes some adjusting to who we who we think about and who we're ready to grieve.
1: Right, we need to um, revise that narrative.
0: And in a way, right, this is this is what the gospels in the New Testament invite us to do, is to invite us to have this heroic grief and recognition of triumph. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, grave,
1: where right? is
0: thy sting? For ah. Yes. Uh, mostly homeless, itinerant preacher who was executed when he was in his mid-30s, right? Who didn't ever have pomp and circumstance and who didn't have bugles playing, right? Who had a few close friends and a group of women who stood at the foot of the cross and who then um, went to gather his body right and to prepare his body for burial and they had right their ways of grieving um but who then somehow right like overturned all of this um I think it at its core the New Testament invites us to grieve differently right and to pay attention yeah. to different people, than our society normally pays attention to.
1: Yeah. People like ourselves in so many ways.
2: Yeah, but people who
0: often we're not even super interested in taking time for ourselves and for our own stories, or we're only interested in taking time for ourselves and our own stories. But how do we see humanity as a net that's woven together, right? Um or as all of these different uh, branches on the same vine, right? Um, And that's the kind of grief that I think um, we're invited into. And that's the kind of grief that I think I've seen from you in this project.
1: I know it doesn't do your listeners much good, know that my head has been nodding through all of this. <laughs> but I think you've stated it well, we so often well, we don't talk about it often, but when we do, it's usually the phrases come out trite. we're We're all children of the same father or we're yeah. all members of the same human family, but we are. and yeah. we need to remember and recognize that. that that describes who we are. Yeah. That describes the feeling we should have yeah. at the loss of the suffering and the losses of so many people. Yeah.
0: And reading a few hundred names in your account, or reading a few hundred names in the history of those killed in the Holocaust, or killed in the Armenian Genocide, or killed in any of the other horrific events of history, right? Mm-hmm. Or who just, you know, read through the obituaries in your local newspaper. These were real people with every real lives. Every day gone. for a month, right? And you'll see humanity, right? You'll see yes. so many lives that were lived with what one person could bring to it, right? And you'll see what those people leave behind, right? Yeah. Um, And each one... Right, each one important. They
1: all left a cluster of people who were most affected. Mm-hmm. We lost yeah. so many babies during the pandemic. Yeah. And as much as anything, I grieve for their parents. Yeah. More than for them. Yes, they yep. their lives were cut way too short. Yeah. But it's the parents who had to bury child after child. Yeah.
0: And then who had to go through decades, right? Not yeah. sure how to deal with that, right? What is what does it mean to bury a child, right? That's not something a right. parent expects. At least not anymore, right? I think parents in that time weighed with that a little bit more, right? But At a time still when it have been easy. It but it, be. yeah. No, it, it definitely wasn't easy just because it happened more. Right. Um and what did it is... mean
1: when so many women were widowed at a time yeah. when that meant that women would be raising the surviving children in poverty Yeah, because the good was gone and there were yeah. no safety nets?
2: Yep. Yep. That... Yep.
1: And yet there are signs of hope all over the place as I go through these. Do you have any idea how many babies in the next generation – were named for aunts and uncles that were lost. Yeah. People remembered. Their parents, their parents remembered brothers and sisters who were lost yeah. and wanted to perpetuate it, at least within the family, yep. that name.
0: Yep. It's, and that was a way to carry it on. That was a way to grieve, but to have the grief become a, a celebration of a new life.
1: Yes. yes.
0: And a bond, right? A sealing link as our scriptures say, between those generations. right, A welding link. Um, Are there any stories you'd like to share with us in the last few minutes of this episode of particular individuals or particular things you found uh, encountering these people's lives and deaths?
1: I mentioned earlier about people going into homes and acting as nurses.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There was one woman, I don't want to give her name. Um, okay. the, the newspaper record made it clear which families by name she, mm-hmm. she nursed and where she took yeah. the flu herself and died. Mm-hmm. And I I've been wondering how that would feel to realize that taking care of my grandmother caused... This neighbor woman's death. Yeah. And that's why I don't want a neighbor's I I I don't want people going and hunting to see yep. which family killed our ancestor, you know. yeah, But that sticks with me. Mm-hmm.
2: Um How there many was families? a
1: nineteen year old student nurse. Mm-hmm. I, I live a block from LDS hospital. Yeah. And this nineteen year old student nurse at LDS hospital died taking care of people. We mm-hmm. lost as many healthcare workers yeah proportionally then as we do now
2: yeah yeah
1: the woman yeah. who nursed uh joseph f smith through his at last illness which was not influenza by the way
2: mm-hmm.
1: a lot of people think it was but yeah they're, they're making a there are a
0: lot thing. of other things people die of even when right. there's a pandemic of a sp- exactly all of the other causes of death don't just disappear <laughs> because there's been a new virus strain spread around
1: but after Joseph F. Smith died, she continued her nursing was with another family and took the mm-hmm. flu while she was nursing them. And yeah. then she died. I mean, we lost healthcare yeah. workers. Yeah, we, we lost. You know, sometimes I hear people today, Latter-day Saints, claiming that they don't have to worry about they shouldn't have to wear masks. They don't have to worry about anything because they're good people and God will protect them. If they would glance through who we lost yeah. and realize how many bishops and relief yeah. society presidents and missionaries and just good primary teachers and Yeah. yeah. they would never be able and to And
0: have again. you heard of Jesus?
1: Have you heard of well,
0: Joseph Smith? God doesn't it, protect people just cuz they're, they're good and cuz they're doing something important that he cares about.
1: No. And and yeah. He would disabuse some of these people of that mistaken belief if they would take the yeah. time to, yeah, to recognize. It.
0: But they'd have to let the grief in, right? They would. They'd have to recognize that other people's suffering isn't separate from their own. That they and can't that just they say, can. "You suffer. You, you're dealing with your suffering because of because you're not as good as I am. I don't have and, to suffer right. with you, right?"
1: That's right. There's something that I can do to be safe. I can be the good person that I've always been, yeah. and I'll be safe. And it's yeah. a magic charm that just doesn't work.
0: Yeah, but we want it to sometimes because wouldn't it be nice if we had a magic charm against suffering? Yes. So if we
1: didn't, if we didn't send our sons off to World War One training and have them returned in caskets three weeks later because yeah. they died of the flu.
0: Yep. Before camp. ever leaving their training yeah.
2: camps. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was so, one
1: young man that I think of when I think of the soldiers in that circumstance, uh, a town in Southern Utah, he had a lame foot. So mm-hmm. he was not eligible mm-hmm. to, to be a soldier. Yeah. But they, the, they came up with roles, supporting roles that people could serve in. Mm-hmm. And he went, he found a yeah. position in a Colorado military camp that would allow him to serve despite his lame foot. Yeah. And so there was a parade and, and there were musicians at the train station when he caught it in
0: mm-hmm. southern
1: Utah and, and came yep. up to head to Colorado. And yep. he was the first one to come home with a casket.
0: But his community loved him. Yep. Right. They were ready to celebrate him going off to do what he could. Yes, we have right. that
1: narrative that that he's he's doing his bit and yep. off he goes and and so on. And, and we're, not, we're not prepared for them coming home that way. Yeah.
0: And I'm not, but I bet you they were they were there grieving as well. No right. doubt. When he came
1: back. No doubt.
0: Um, but yeah. Yeah. And if we are willing to let the the grief of these others into our heart, I really think that is the thing that protects us the best from our own suffering. It doesn't prevent our suffering, but it does protect us from the ways in which it can make us bitter or hurt us or just sit there tearing us apart by Letting our suffering be connected and be part.
1: Yes, being of the part hope. of something larger than ourselves, being able to approach our grief in stages. Because yeah. I can't, even though I try to mourn with those who mourn, I can't say that I'm mourning your loss the same yeah. way that you're mourning them. Yeah. But it it inoculates me little by little, so that when it comes time for me to to suffer my great loss.
2: Yeah.
1: I've. Found ways to come yeah. to terms with it step by step.
0: Yep, you practiced. You've been the one yeah. in the room with the mourner. Um, yeah. So in in Jewish mourning, um, there's a mourner's prayer, the mourner's kaddish, that during the first year after you've suffered a close loss. Of a family member. You're supposed to say the Mourner's Kaddish every day. But the very interesting thing about the Mourner's Kaddish is that you're not permitted to say it alone. You need to have at least nine other worshipers. So what the practice of the Mourner's Kaddish says is that in the first year after someone close to you dies, you need to make sure you spend at least part of each day in the company of nine other people. Wow. Right? And so that's one of the things that I think about a lot when I think about our covenant to mourn with those who mourn. Right? We have that concept, but we don't always know how to put it into practice. Right? And that's a way of putting it into practice, right? That you that you have to find a congregation every day of at least 10 people for and you as a mourner. And they're mourning with you, yes. right?
1: Because that's culture-wide, everybody must expect it. So yep. it wouldn't be like having to round up nine strangers and explain yeah. to them what you need. They nope. already know what They you already need. know.
0: They're there for the service. They're there for the regular daily prayer service. At the synagogue, and when it comes time for the mourner's Kaddish, anyone who has that loss
2: speaks is up at that point. Speaking and
0: doing the prayer for those they've lost, and the rest are there as witnesses and to mourn with them, right? To make sure that no one has to carry that burden alone.
1: I cried every day for a year after my mother died. Mm hmm. That would have meant so much to have someone yeah. to mourn with.
2: yep, Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and it's what we're called to do, right? It's what we're called, is to learn how to mourn with those that mourn. And so that's what I hope we can take from this very hard time is to become better at mourning with one another and for one another and at remembering those who have gone before us and it remembering just how beautiful and hard and amazing their lives were and i'm so grateful for everything that you have given us artists in helping find those people and in telling their stories in a way so that we can remember them
1: it uh, takes both sides I can find and I can post these stories, but it's the responses from people who read yeah. and want to talk about it that completes mm-hmm. the act. We,
2: yeah. we need each
1: other even for that.
2: Yep. Yep. Yeah.
1: One thing that I have learned, just my research in general, is that i to get all religious on you here, but you know the scripture that, that the hearts of the children will turn to the fathers and the yeah. hearts of the fathers will turn to the children and so
2: yeah. on. Or we usually think of that as our hearts turning,
1: to, our hearts turn to them. But yeah. one thing that I have experienced over and over again is that their hearts do turn to us. They mm-hmm. want to be found every bit as much as we want to find them. Yeah. They want to be remembered as much as we want to remember them. Yeah, and it's a, it can be at times a very tender thing to do to remember and to know that. Yeah, even if you're sitting alone in a room, you don't have the other nine mourners with you. I am absolutely certain that these people are aware that we're thinking of them and that it, yeah. it matters to them. It yeah. matters to me to to know that or to hope at least that I won't be forgotten. Yep. These people have not been forgotten. Yeah. And I think we all need to hope that about ourselves.
0: Yep. Yep. And that we're not forgotten now. Right. Yep. Even when we feel very alone. Right. Yep. Um, and uh, in saying, right, that their, their hearts turned to us and that they are there with us as we search for them. Uh, you reminded me of something that Scott Hales, uh, who also has has done work for the Church History Department and has done work in Mormon literature, but he he said once, uh, "The dead make good friends." <laughs> they
1: certainly do,
0: <laughs> and I've I've experienced that. So yeah, so it you know if you are someone who is not sought out. Friends on the other side of the grave you should consider it they're patient and they're good listeners
1: they're very generally. responsive
0: and and they're they're they want to share their stories like you said they want they want to share their stories so and yep. we can we can be the ones to to be with them right We without them cannot be made perfect. Neither can they without us. Right? That was the, the great thing the prophet realized on the banks of the Missouri River, right? In that beautiful city they tried to build there. That um, we, we need the dead and the dead need us. And it's so that our hearts will change. Right. And that's what will get us through all these hard times. Um, I believe it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. I've
1: enjoyed talking with you tonight. Yeah.
0: And um, please, please do look at the who we've lost uh, memorials um, on artists' site and consider ways that you can um, find a way to take part in remembering and mourning those who have gone before, and you know this. This is a time of year to remember those who you're already mourning for, and to take some time to to l- let your grief take shape. And and as Artis said, to let it take whatever shape it needs to take um, in
2: order for you to remember them.
0: All mm-hmm. right.